it's like the icon, the emblem of this park. It's taunting you. It's telling you that what you're about to enter is a world where normal rules don't apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is Dr. Kaylee Byers. Finished up her PhD, the summer is finished up. Kaylee, how's your summer been? How is fall looking for you? You know, my summer really was consumed by finishing this life-consuming thing, the PhD, but I did get out of town for a little bit. I went salmon fishing. I feel like I have become a more skilled person in in other life (laughs) endeavors. So uh, I learned how to fillet a fish. Uh, it was quite uh, quite exciting. What about you? Are you looking forward for fall? Yeah, fall's going to be busy as we get into the school year. But speaking of fishing, I actually randomly went up to a lake to just swim around. I'm not much of a camper, but I did go up to a lake and swim around. And I found a fishing pole in the lake. It was very bizarre. I was like walking out and I just reached down. And it was a full completely working fishing rod. So kind of like Excalibur in the uh, in the middle of the lake there with the lady in the lake. Do you think the fish were fishing for you? Because it sounded like that went very <laughs> successfully for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what we've caught today. We've caught a guest for our podcast. Today, we are joined by Seth Porges. Uh, Seth is a journalist and filmmaker who's recently released documentary Class Action Park follows the stories of attendees at one of America's most dangerous amusement parks. Seth is also an expert on the history of pinball and is pretty darn good at detecting art forgeries. Hey, Seth, how are you doing? I'm great. It's just, It's great to be here. We are so stoked for you to be here right out of the gate, or maybe the admissions gate. Can you tell us a little bit about Class Action Park? What inspired you to make this documentary? So the documentary, which is now on HBO Max, it's about Action Park, which was the most infamously chaotic, insane, take your superlative, dangerous amusement park that probably ever existed. It was uh, mostly through the 1980s in New Jersey, and it became this sort of place that just all these urban legends developed out of, like all these impossible to believe stories passed around for decades. And I had become somewhat obsessed with this park because you read these things online and none of it sounds real. There's no way those stories are true. And I had these memories of going there as a kid and I had a really hard time squaring the things I saw, the things that were going on around me with my sense of how the world should operate, the sense that there are systems in place and that you know, water slides don't go in Hot Wheels track loops, and people shouldn't be getting into fights in the middle of water slides, and teenagers who are 14 years old and drunk shouldn't be the people, the thin line separating you between life and death. But that's what Action Park was. And so as an adult, I became interested in basically fact-checking my memories, which is what this movie became. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. I had first heard about Action Park on this podcast called The Dollop, and I had a similar experience to hearing it and being like, there's no way (laughs) that this place could have existed. And then watching the documentary, you realize, oh, no, it did. And it it goes even far beyond what I could have imagined. Yeah, there's no reason to make up stories about Action Park because they're all true. And it's not like you had to work there for a bunch of years to develop crazy stories about Action Park. Most people who went there a couple times saw things that stuck with them to this day because they just, again, it felt like a glitch in the matrix. Like they just don't square with your idea of how reality is supposed to work. 
Seth, you know, watching this documentary, you know, brought back memories of summer camp for me because it does sort of feel like this extreme summer camp because it's run by teenagers and it's mostly visited by teenagers. And for me, I, I went to Bible camps. I went to Disneyland. My experiences were so opposite to everything that's in this documentary. For you, was this your experience? Did you have something to compare Action Park to? Yeah, we spent a lot of time going to amusement parks and theme parks when I was a kid. You know, we went to Disney World every year. We went to Universal Studios. We went to Busch Gardens. We went to King's Dominion. We went to all these places. But a couple times I went to Action Park. And it's very clear from the moment you walk up to the gate of Action Park that this place was very different. Uh, I like to say, you know, the first thing you see when you walk up to Disneyland is a big castle, right? The first thing you see when you walk up to the gate of Action Park is a giant loop-de-loop water slide. And it, it's like, it's staring at you. It's like the icon, the emblem of this park. It's taunting you. It's telling you that what you're about to enter is a world where normal rules don't apply, where common sense doesn't apply. And that message, it, it's almost like in the water and in the air there. Like you're walking around the park and the sense of unbridled chaos is really, I think, the thing that sticks with you the most. Not just these crazy rides that don't make sense. It's the air. It's the energy. It's all of these teenagers who are kind of pushing, and it's not just teenagers, it's New Jersey teenagers in the 1980s who are pushing themselves to their limits. It's all It, it becomes just a never-ending series of escalating dares is what the park feels like. People who are like, I bet you can't do that. You're not a chicken. And then they do things they probably shouldn't do because who wants to be a chicken? Seth, maybe kind of take us through, you know, we don't want to like spoil the documentary, but when you're talking about these extremes and for people that haven't seen the documentary, maybe describe, you know, you talk about the loop-de-loop water slide. Maybe go through sort of like some of the highlights of just the insanity of Action Park. So Action Park... The important thing to know about it is it was one of the very first modern water parks in the world. You know, I think it was probably the third modern water park. Uh, you had like Wet n Wild, you had Schlitterbahn, Somebody Might Count, Disney's River Country and that too. But then you had Action Park, which opened in 1978. It was one of the very first. The template hadn't yet been devised. Nobody knew what a water park was. It wasn't like you could go to an industry show and buy a bunch of off-the-shelf water rides and fill, fill it up and suddenly you had a water park. They had to invent it. They had to make it up as they went along. And so all of these ideas are, by definition, experimental. They're trying out things that seem like they would be fun. And they're, you know, not really paying as much consideration to modeling or physics or engineering or safety as perhaps they should. And so a lot of these things end up kind of feeling like the deranged doodles of a six-year-old. You know, like you're bored in class and you're creating some ludicrous ride idea. Like, that's what it felt like. So when you go there as a kid, you feel like your imagination had come alive is really the only way you can describe it. You feel that you go there and you go, I had a dream that somebody could do this, that that ride was possible. And here it is in front of me. Oh my goodness. It's a very strange experience because again, like your fantasies, like your dreams, they're, they're in front of you. And the, the, the dividing line between what's real and what's not, what's possible and what's not just becomes very, very blurry, if that makes any sense. So every ride there, was strange, maybe, you know, a version of a ride that would later become commonplace, but sort of like an an evolutionary dead end for obvious good reasons when you start seeing what these rides were. And so you have these ideas, many of them were inspired by natural settings and environments that the owner kind of grew up playing in, wanted to bring these to kids. And and a lot of these were the kind of experiences that, that kind of latchkey kids would have running around playing in quarries and in the woods, whatever else. Only they're within the confines of an amusement park, so you kind of feel like they're safe when they actually aren't. So 
you know, a, a ride would be here's the keys to a speedboat uh, drive around a lake. So instead of like a bumper boat, it's like a Miami Vice grade speedboat and people are just crashing into each other. And the lake was famously infested with snakes. So all day long, people are crashing into each other, falling into this lake. The lifeguard, also, the lake was just so murky with spilled gas and oil filled with dead fish and then slithering snakes. Kids all day just knocking into each other getting pulled from this murky, oily, gassy water with snakes around it. We spoke to one lifeguard who worked on this ride in our movie who was there when uh, one person kind of pulled to a stop at the dock at the end of the ride and the boat behind them was not stopping, rammed right into him, went on top of them, and she thought she was witnessing somebody uh, getting decapitated in front of her eyes from the proper propeller. Fortunately, the person did survive. So you talk about the the park as like experimental. There were all these new ideas. They were trying them out. Is Action Park why we have regulations now <laughs> around water parks? Like, do you think it inspired all the regulations that then have followed? I think there's shockingly little correlation between Action Park and the rise of, of these regulations. I mean, this is this ha- is and always has been a state issue. And it's not like these regulations weren't in place in the state of New Jersey. They just weren't enforced. Mm. And a lot of that had to do with the owner's political connections. Other parks had regulators shut things down, find them, issue citations. Action Park suffered virtually no citations, virtually no fines through its entire existence. And when it shut down, it wasn't because it was dangerous. It never shut down because somebody said, this, this is not a good idea. You guys can't be open anymore. Eventually shut down for financial reasons and bankruptcy. Yeah, and that's a really good point, Seth. You know, there's an underlying theme in this documentary about conservatism. And in the 1980s, of course, we had Reagan, and this era of no regulation and no rules started to really become part of the mainstream in culture. You know, cocaine is part of this film. People kind of like pushing the limits of what they're allowed to do even if it is breaking the rules, because people are trying to reach that edge. So when you think about the world we're in today, in 2020, and the themes of, of Action Park, where does that sit with you? And as you were making this film, I'm sure it occurred to you like that it's there underlying this conservatism. And now we see this rise of even ultra conservatism in the United States. Um, how do you feel about those themes? No. Michael, are you telling me that Action Park is a metaphor for America? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Are you telling me that this dangerous place that was allowed to develop and do whatever it wanted without any regulation and inevitably led to the injuries of many people and the deaths of some is America? <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, Action Park's a metaphor for everything. I mean, the, the, what I love about this story is... You know, when I think about action work all the time, whenever I see things happen, you know, like like systems break down. It's you know, action park is it's a it's an entropy system is what I kind of it's anytime you see the the levers of structure and regulation and and the the very thin veneer of society that keeps us all from total anarchy. All I can think of is action park. It's this kind of constant reminder about how thin those threads are. That's really funny. I think from now on, whenever I see something that totally goes off the rails, I'm going to also be like, oh, an action park moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, what did you think was going to happen when you gave kids the keys to a speedboat right next to like a beer tent? You know, like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> okay. You know, through making the film, you already had heard a number of stories. Was there anything that really surprised you when you actually went to 
do more research and create this documentary? Yeah, I mean, at some point, you're both surprised by everything you hear and are no longer surprised by anything you hear about Action Park. It's it's a place that never, like, under, everybody has a story, and every story is truly insane, right? And I kind of believe, like, there's no reason to make up these stories. It's such a weird, wild place. I'll tell you the one that really got me that's in the movie is uh, when we talk about the Cannonball Loop, which is the looping water slide, it was kind of well known in the lore of Action Park that the owner would basically wave $100 bills in the air in order to lure his teenage employees into serving as human guinea pigs for this ride. But what I hadn't heard, which was truly nuts, is that after a couple of these kids came through the slide, they were missing teeth and a bloody mouth. And then they sent a couple more kids down, and their teeth from the previous group had gotten embedded in the slide's padding and was then eating into and tearing into the flesh of the next kids. And when I heard that, when I was in the room when, when our interview subject told us that, um, I, it, I struggled to, yeah, to not make that noise you just made. <laughs> it's just the idea that you go through a slide and then you get shredded up by teeth. It's Lovecraftian. It's a monster. It's a horror movie. It is, I mean, I think when you look at that slide, it's so disconcerting. It's just disconcerting. Because you're like, how how does this work? What goes on? What are the mysteries this black box holds? <laughs> and especially when you see videos people going through and they go down facing one way and they come out facing a completely different way. <laughs> and you're like, how did that happen? Was this like, is this the prestige? Like, what's going on here? You know? And then you add in the teeth and it then suddenly feels like like a Leviathan, some snake monster digesting you. It's it's pure horror movie stuff. It's it's frightening. But you see that slide and, and, you know, in the documentary, you talk about the slide was drawn on a napkin and then they made it. And you see the slide and you're like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the rides. So the way these rides were designed, I think, is particularly interesting, kind of who designed them. Number, number of them came from in-house employees. And it's not like these were guys who were hired for designing rides. It's like, oh, you work here draw a ride you know like they, they weren't engineers they weren't they weren't people who should have been doing this and we spoke to, to some of them in the movie and then a number of other rides were from these kind of interesting very colorful figures who were just kind of like entrepreneuring ride designers who would literally track gene down at industry conventions because they knew he would take whatever wild idea they had right so these people would just come to gene with crazy ideas and he would say i love it let's build it no modeling no testing no anything and we talk about one of those rides, which came from an outside designer in, in the movie, which was uh, known as the man in a ball and ball, or sometimes also known as the Bailey ball. And this was literally just a giant fiberglass sphere you would step inside of and it would roll down a hill. What could go wrong? <laughs> you know, what could go wrong? Of course, everything went wrong. When the day they tested it, the PVC pipe track broke because it was like 105 degrees and PVC doesn't uh, handle extreme heat very well. And so it broke and the ball just rolled down the hill uh, over the highway that runs through the middle of the park and ended up in the swamp on the other side of the highway. The ball sat in that swamp for years until uh, some employees fished it out and turned it into uh, basically an obstacle on the terrain park at the ski resort. So you could like snowboard on it. Oh my God. So Seth, uh, before Nerd and About became a podcast, Kelly and I ran a lecture series called Nerd Night. And uh, one of my actually favorite talks, we had physics of water slides talk. So this subject matter was one that we were excited about. And then we found out that the idea for Action Park as a documentary started as a Nerd Night talk. So maybe talk a little bit about sort of how that journey went. Yeah, it's been a long journey. You know, I've been interested in Action Park ever since I went there as a kid. 
I started writing about Action Park for Popular Mechanics magazine every once in a while when I worked there, probably around 2008 or 9, I started writing a couple articles about it. Mostly, there wasn't real much original research then. It was mostly me just kind of regurgitating things I'd read in places like Weird New Jersey and my own memories and whatever else. And I did a Nerd Night talk, spoke about it a couple places, and I was eventually approached after a video of the Nerd Night talk went online by some folks, uh, Anthony and Matt who asked me to make a short film with them about Action Park, which I did, uh, which went online about seven years ago in 2013. And it went very viral, went quite viral. It actually caused the park to reopen under its old name of Action Park for a year or two to sort of cash in on nostalgia. But that was really when I discovered how crazy this story was and, you know, started speaking to people who worked at the park and realized that all these myths were, in fact, true. And not only were they true, but oftentimes they were crazier than what I had read. And after we put that short out, my inbox just became inundated with people reaching out to me saying, I brought back a lot of memories. Let me tell you my crazy story. Uh, or you barely touched the surface. Let me tell you what really went down there. And it was it's amazing because everybody from the area has a story. Everybody from the area is like was kind of speaking about in hushed terms where it's like, uh, don't tell anybody I told you this, blah, 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 blah. And now I think the things have changed where everybody's really proud of it. And now they're all talking about it. It's this like amazing rite of passage. You had to be there kind of thing. But um, put the short out, got all these letters in mail. And I was like, there's such something, something much bigger here. There's just something much bigger here. So fast forward several more years, I teamed up with my collaborator on this project, Chris Charles Scott, and we turned it into this feature film. I will say though, like even watching it, I grew up in Edmonton and I used to go to West Edmonton Mall every year for my birthday and there's a water park there. And there were a couple of rides. I'm like, oh, West Ed totally had one of those. (laughs) I mean, maybe it was more safe, but I look at it, I'm like, those look the same. Well, it's actually like a lot of these rides were kind of, it's not the ride concept that was often the problem, although sometimes they were. It was the execution and in the management and the way the employees operating them were operating them. And then the attitude of the people who are riding them. So when you go to Disney World, if you wanted to get hurt on Pirates of the Caribbean, you could find a way to get hurt on Pirates of the Caribbean. But you don't. You follow the directions and you keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle and you just, you're, you're a good boy, right? But Action Park, the, the, the patrons weren't doing that. Nobody was telling them not to. It was Lord of the Flies. Like people were just running around, going down water slides five at a time, getting into fights, trying to do everything they could to kind of push the boundaries of whatever meager safety mechanisms were in place for any given ride. I think that's a great point is that it's more than just the park itself. It's the culture of the park that makes it what it is, right? And it made it unsafe, but it also made it a place that a lot of people loved going to. And that's, you know, people say like, what's this movie about? It's, It's simple. This movie is about how we look back at things often with a sense of nostalgia that were objectively speaking, terrifying and horrible. You know, it's, uh, it's about how, we as grown-ups can both be simultaneously grateful for the experiences we had and that we did those crazy, stupid things, but at the same time realize I would never allow my kids to do them. And and that push and pull, I think, is, is really what Action Park, more than anything, is about to me. And it's something that even people who didn't go to Action Park, I think, really latch onto. People sending me these emails like, we didn't go to Action Park, but we broke into quarries and factories and got into fights. And we would just do these stupid, stupid things from drag race, whatever, these stupid things for fun. And oh my God, it's a miracle we survived them. Yeah. And we haven't even touched on, we have we've have touched on that there were deaths at Action Park. And that really kind of underlies a lot of the problems there because anywhere else, 
the park gets shut down as soon as somebody dies, right? Well, not necessarily. I, I, and I'm going to put you back there. Like, people have died at almost any amusement park you can get. You know, just freak accidents occur all the time. Action Park had more deaths than usual, though, we'll say. You know, um, at least five or six. It's kind of hard to track which ones are a direct result of, of ride problems. But they had more deaths than usual, but more than anything, they had more injuries. And and the uh, really, it's a, honestly just like when you look back at those times you were drag racing or breaking into a quarry as a kid, and you're like, it's a miracle I survived. It's a miracle all these kids survived Action Park, and there weren't more deaths. But there were a lot of injuries. On any given weekend, the Alpine slide alone would probably give you several hundred injuries a day. Well, and didn't they? They had to buy an ambulance for the for the town. Uh, two, two ambulances for the town. They were overwhelming the emergency services. You know, if you're in a small town and doesn't have massive emergency infrastructure, a place like Action Park is going to keep them busy all day. Yeah, and yeah. then some. You know, and so they had to they had to buy their own ambulances. And you know, the hospitals weren't even in town. So they offloaded them into other towns at the nearest hospitals in Warwick, which is across state lines in New York. So <laughs> one more element there. Somebody else's problem, right? Oh, amazing. Should we get to some nerd herd questions? Oh yeah, bring on the nerd herd questions. Why is the sky? What's at the center of a black hole? When we evolve, does anyone have free will? What is like carbon-based? the fastest thing on Earth. Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. And if you would want to get in on the Nerd Herd questions, don't forget to check us on our socials at NerdNightYVR, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We will be posting for future episodes there. And of course, you can always email us as well, Vancouver at NerdNight. First question comes from Kyle, who wants to know, Seth, if you've heard of the band Shellac and their debut album at Action Park, um, which we couldn't get into talking about the soundtrack for this documentary, as it has a very punk rock feel at the whole park as well. But uh, yeah, Shellac, have you heard of them? Of course I've heard of Shellac. I'm a big Steve Albini fan. I'm a big, big Black fan. I'm a big Shellac fan. My understanding is the the album at Action Park from Shellac has nothing to do with the actual park. But uh, it's a great album. <laughs> Gotta tell you that. So maybe talk about the soundtrack choices for Action sure. Park and like, oh. how you got into that. Yeah, I love the music in our movie. Uh, most of it was an orig- original compositions by the Holiday Brothers. That's H-O-L-L-A-D-A. ADY, that is. And they're old friends of mine from high school, actually. And they're just incredible composers who have done a lot of really novel and innovative stuff mixing music and technology. So they got a fair amount of attention a number of years back when they created these albums that would be basically location-specific app albums where you'd walk around the Central Park or the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and depending on where you're standing, the music would change with the environment. They do a lot of really, really cool stuff like that. But, you know, I wanted a soundtrack that would kind of take you back to the 1980s was the idea like this is this movie's a period piece you know we wanted to to give people you know flashbacks to that time and we wanted the music to do that um also helping us with the music was kent odessa who's awesome and the thing i'm most most pleased with is that we're man we managed to score a david bowie song to kind of close off the movie yeah that was great goodness I, I'll give, I should give you guys a story i was driving out to vernon where action park was to meet with some people to kind of basically try to convince them to be in the movie and the song kind of came on my my playlist it's all the Mad Men by bowie and i was listening to his lyrics and the lyrics go i can jump i can fly i can break my arm i can do me harm and i'm like man this guys singing about action park right now and i just like <laughs> had to have that song so action park now it is still there but it is under a different name is that right it exists but not the same as it did before not the same it's called mountain creek and it's still there and you walk through it you can sort of you know feel the ghosts and feel the history it's uh, a much 
simpler water park now. It's much smaller, but it's still a really cool water park. Like if you're in the New York, New Jersey area, you want to go to a water park, it's it's awesome. I, I highly suggest it as far as water parks go. And what makes it different from most other water parks is that it's built into this beautiful wooded mountainside. You know, you go to some water parks, you're like in a parking lot with towers and you climb a staircase and you go down a water slide. Mountain Creek is is much more of a natural environment. And some, but not all, of the original rides are, are still there. You can still jump off a cliff. You can still go off the Colorado River ride. Although now when you go on the Colorado River ride, you have to wear basically like a catcher style face mask. So many people are smashing their faces. Yeah. It seemed like one of the big things that was missing from this park was helmets. <laughs> yes. I'll just leave it at that. Yes. There there are numerous rides that helmets would should have been used for. The last year the Alpine Slide was in operation. It was only in operation for one year after Action Park sold to IntraWest, which was the company that kind of took over the park and uh, after they closed in 96. And they had the Alpine Slide open for one year and they made people, I believe, sign waivers and wear helmets then uh, before they tore up the ride. So we also had a, a sort of comment from uh, the Roller King who mentioned that it would be great if there could be an Action Park day once a year at Mountain Creek. What do you think that would look like? So first of all, everybody take your helmets off if you're wearing them. <laughs> but what, what other things might happen? You've seen The Purge, right? It's like... That's I mean, what I said earlier. <laughs> I was like, I bet it'll be The Purge. It's The Purge. You're just describing The Purge. That would be fun. They they rebranded Mountain Creek as Action Park for one year, as I mentioned, around 19, excuse me, 2014. Um, and I think they were hoping that it would really kind of tap into nostalgia and the old fans would come flooding back. And I don't think it really worked out as much as like that as they'd hope. Maybe with a documentary now that, that would be different. And maybe if it's one day a year instead of kind of a you know a, a season long rebranding, that might be fun. So yeah, I think like one day like retro action park day be a lot of fun. I go there. Me too. With a helmet. <laughs> Should we nerd out? Oh yeah, let's nerd out. What you nerding about What you nerding about So once again, uh, you can get in on our nerd outs. Tell us what you've been nerding out about at NerdNightYVR, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Kyle gets in with his first nerd out uh, during this pandemic. He's been learning how to fix cars. Kaylee, how's your uh, car fixing abilities going these days? Well, that's funny that you should ask because I sent my old car to that great scrap heap in the sky <laughs> and got myself a newer car. So I don't have to deal with those issues. So... Not great. <laughs> I remember we had a, a bit of an adventurous ride up to Squamish that one day. Seth, what have you been nerding about? I guess I've been nerding about pinball and missing it. You know, the pandemic is, is not the best time to go into a pinball bar and touch <laughs> machines uh, in closed confines with lots of other people. But pinball machines, man, got it. Can't miss them more than anything, I think. Yeah, no, I have been missing it a lot as well. What's your favorite game? Like if you had one game that you could like have in your place right now, what table would you have? Well, I have a couple. I, I do have a couple games. So I'm not as so like, you know, despondently like lost from pinball as I might pretend to be. You know, I, I think it depends what era you're looking at. What's interesting about pinball to me, I think a lot of it is sort of the evolution of the game. You look at games from like the 70s versus the 90s versus the 2010s, just how different they are and how the designs of these things evolve and how designs of them meet technology as technology changes over over that period. So in terms of modern games, in terms of like the past couple of years, I think like Jurassic Park is a really great game. And if you look at games like a couple of years before then, I think like ACDC is a really great game. And I think if you look back at even older games, you know, like the 90s, it's just full of classics. 90s was full. That was the real, I think, golden era of pinball when the dot matrix display was first introduced and all the 
opportunities that opened up because prior to that, you know, a game can only do so many different things. Like one shot can only mean so many different things depending on the lights on the play field, for example. But once you have a dot matrix display, you can tell a story. You can have modes. You can make the same play field take on different forms and different meanings depending on where you are in the game. And that opened it up in a, in a huge, huge way. So what about you, Michael? Have you also been missing missing pinball? What have you been nerding about? Well, I have been missing pinball and I've also been missing in-person uh, activities, uh, which I'm actually going to be involved in one. And so I've been nerding out about an art museum heist from 1990 in Boston, the Gardner Museum heist. Have you heard about this, uh, Seth? Yeah, I listened to the podcast about that. Yeah, last the last scene podcast, I just got into it, listened to all the episodes in like two days. Uh, really fascinating. You know, there's a Rembrandt, there's a Vermeer, there's a bunch of different things. They're still out there. This is back in 1990. Nobody knows where they are. But the reason I got into this is because I'm going to be in a fringe play this year that's going to be based on the podcast and the actual characters from this museum heist. And it's going to be outside. It's going to be on Granville Island. I'm going to be the museum security director. And so as an audience member, you're going to be able to walk up to me and I'm going to kind of give you some information that'll lead you to another suspect. So it'll be kind of like a murder mystery outside uh, for the Fringe Festival. Oh, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I, I mean, I'm a su- any, any, any half-assed uh, immersive theater thing I will go to. I don't care. I'm just there. I'm in. That sounds amazing. Well, there's a possibility that the creators uh, are going to take this around to other cities. So it may come to uh, New Jersey. Who knows? Kaylee, what have you been nerding about? Well, now for something a little bit different. I've been thinking a lot lately about how much there is to discover. So in a previous episode, uh, we talked with Dr. Michelle Kunamoto about discovering new planets. And holy smokes, there's a lot out there to discover. But there's also so much more that we can learn about our own planet. So recently, I've been finalizing a project I did my master's, which was, you know, forever and a day ago. And I was studying feather mites, which are these tiny little eight-legged critters that live on, well, feathers. So birds. And uh, the group I studied in particular belonged to this genus called Truisardia. So there's there's many different species of Truisardia all within this genus. But We've only discovered 10% of these species, or we've only identified 10% of them. So many of them have yet to be described. So there's like a lot of mites out there left for some budding scientists to go out there and describe. But one really interesting thing about these mites is that they differ from any other species of animals in that the females have external genitalia, but not all of them. So the length of the external genitalia ranges. So for some of these species, it's internal, and for others, it's external. And for some, it's like really, really external, like really, really long. And we're not really sure why it's possible for these mites that the females actually put their genitalia inside of the male's genitalia, which is pretty different from what we see in other animals. And we think that if that does happen, it might give these females a little more choice over uh, who they are having little mighty babies with, but we don't know. So if we actually wanted to know that, we'd actually have to catch them and look at them on the feathers on the birds and actually catch them in the act. So yeah, there's a lot more out there to discover and mite sex is just uh, one of those things. Is that the name of your old band, Michael? Like Mite Sex? <laughs> what you guys called yourself yeah. back in the garage days? It was, But it was like a question mark, like Mite Sex? Uh, definitely no sex for that band. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, thank you so much for joining us and nerding out with us today on Nerding About. Class Action Park is out there on HBO Max uh, up here in Canada. I believe it's on Crave. How can people uh, learn more about Class Action Park and maybe some of the other projects? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we're, we're easy to find on the social media, like at Class Action Park for everything. I myself am at Seth Porges. 
That's Porges, the P-O-R-G-E-S, at everything. Say hi. And if you've got any cool action park stories, you know, shoot them my way. Well, I hope that you get a lot of them. We will be monitoring that conversation very closely. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to see more of what we're up to, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until next time, maybe steer clear of the loop-de-loop slide. Loop slide.